Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Good morning, church. I just want to start off with a quick survey in the house. By a show of hands, if you are setting up any goals or ambitions or plans um, for this year, can I just see a quick show of hands? Okay, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a few. So many people are, you know, starting this year and thinking that, you know what, we need to, I need to start going to the gym, need to start eating healthier. Other people are deciding I need to kick a bad habit, uh, maybe in the bad relationship, I don't know. Other people are deciding, you know what, our, our business needs to hit a new level of profits or income. Um, somebody maybe wants better academic marks this year. And considering the season that we're in, this should not be of any surprise. Because right now, there is a lot of plans that are being made, you know, projections are being set out, and resolutions are being decided upon. And what this does is it creates a sense of anticipation, which has the unique ability to generate excitement, and it generates enthusiasm in the atmosphere. For those who probably are like, Sherilyn, I don't even know what you are speaking about. I don't even have any clear, foreseeable future set out for myself right now, can I encourage you to, while I'm speaking, ask yourself a few questions like, what is the vision that I have for my life? What is the plan or the ambition that I want to set out with my family? What is it that I would like to build with my community of faith? And asking these simple questions can bring about a fresh starting point for us to develop an incredible sense of direction when we sometimes feel rather purposeless or not even having any set-out goal for our near future. Our decision to begin a certain course of action or for some to bring to a stop an action that we do not really like requires us to firstly take a sober-minded look at the factual reality about new beginnings or necessary endings as we start this year. Did you know that the U.S. News and World Report states that the failure rate for New Year's resolutions or plans is about 80%? And most of the resolve and enthusiasm disappears by mid-February. So I know that seeing this statistic can be rather discouraging for those who have already set up the plan, But can I just encourage you and ask you to just hold on to whatever you already decided your heart's desire will be. This statistics about only 80% of people um, not even following through with the decision relates to an interesting psychological phenomenon that is known as the hedonic adaption. This hedonic adaption theory sheds a lot of light on why people do not tend to start what they, uh, not to finish what they start. And according to psychology professor Dr. Sonia Leon-Berswicki, hedonic adaption refers to how humans tend to quickly become accustomed or familiar to the initial excitement or at times the failure that we experience. This graph that we have here is a great example of our constant return to a, to a neutral emotional state or psychological state, and what it tends to explain is how when we are going through life, 
we tend to experience these positive events that occur. You know, some people are starting a new job. Some people are getting married or, you know, there's this positive event that occurs. And for some people, the way I like to think about it is that at the end of, at the, end of the month, everybody suddenly see, experiences this flare when that salary notification hit. Everyone's excited. They can't wait to get to pick and pay. And then immediately when we need to start spending that money, or we're becoming now a bit too familiar, our entire emotional or psychological well-being drops. And all of us experience this. And it's no surprise that right now in the season, we are likely where good things are happening. Although we need to be realistic and admit that for some people, everything is not as airy-fairy right now. And the season that we find ourselves in is one where the anticipation and the high might be simmering like energy through the atmosphere. Biblically, identifying the season that you are in is a crucial act. If we seek to establish a successful strategy with which we want to proceed into this year. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that this biblical principle is amplified. We see when Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 to 8, we are reminded that there is a season, there is a time appointed for everything. And a time for every delight and event or purpose under heaven. The scripture eventually goes on to say that, you know what, there are times when we need to realize and we need to be like, okay, it's time to strip down, it's time to tear down what was maybe built. There's times when we need to cast away what we have. And there's times where we need to actually reconcile and be like, you know what, we need to give up what was lost, as hard as it might be. More importantly, though, it continues to remind us that there will be a time for us to heal. There will time be a time for us to regather, a time for us to recover in preparation for what is to come. Right now, as a community of faith, we are on the precipice. We are ready to build towards the future. And in the next few weeks, we will be outlining some of the incredible things that will be happening in Southside Church. And it just goes to show that our leadership is actually in tune to the voice of God and what He is saying for us as a people. And a wise man or a wise woman is an individual who has the ability to sit back and reflect and identify the season that they are in as an individual for themselves, for their family, for their life group, for their church. And throughout the Bible, we are presented with these historical accounts of incredible men and women who, who you know, overcame great um, trials because of the revelation that God divinely inspired in their hearts, that God spoke to them about that they need to undertake a mission that will be an extraordinary course of action. And we see this with the likes of Moses. We see this with Esther, the prophet Elijah, with Ruth, and even with Jesus himself. However, there is a significant individual in the Bible who is often overlooked because he does not necessarily have this high and mighty title in front of his name. And many scholars refer to him as this layman. 
And this individual is named Nehemiah. So let me tell you about this character, Nehemiah, in the Bible. And in the book of Nehemiah, it documents how the Israelites, this group of people, found themselves in exile for approximately 70 years. Some people say that it was even up to 77 years. And the once great city of Jerusalem was decaying and it was damaged because of the attacks that the enemy so successfully executed against these people and against these individuals. And these Israelites are important people because Jesus was a descendant. His lineage runs through these people. And so for many years, Nehemiah finds himself living all the way in Babylon, a distant land away from the original promised land that the Israelites were promised from. And he finds himself living in, uh, in Babylon. And the news comes to Nehemiah that the people of Jerusalem are distressed. These people, they are ashamed because of what was committed towards them and the fact that they were straying so far from God. And what it caused is for leaving them vulnerable to the acts of the enemies who were constantly seeking to just wreak havoc amongst these people. The walls that was meant to surround them was broken down. The gates that served as an entry point, it was burned down and it was devastating. And Nehemiah then sets out on a journey to Jerusalem in order to begin reconstruction of this protective barrier that surrounded the city of Jerusalem and the holy temple where they would enter into worship. And here we have a reconstructed image of what this hall looked like of where that Nehemiah successfully ultimately builds. And although this, 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 this wall was so significantly built, it was not just because it was a cool design, but it actually served as an indicator to all external individuals, all external forces, that the city was covered. It served as a monument that the people of Israel were beginning to regather, they were beginning to reclaim what was initially lost to them. And ultimately, in the Yimia understood that, uh, that going, partaking in this was way more than partaking in some nice vision, but it would be a legacy that would show of God's glory, not his, God's glory, and it would ultimately end up with Jesus being born, Jesus entering those city gates, and ultimately bringing forth salvation. And when Nehemiah undertook this project, there was great unity among the people of Israel. They were enthusiastic. They were we saying, you know what, we've been lacking a leader, a leader with vision. And finally, Nehemiah is here providing us what we were lost. And they were excited as we tend to be at the beginning of a project that we undertake. However, if you thought that the completion of that great hall that great city was going to be an easy ride, I've got some news for you. Because in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, it records that when the opponents, these external forces, began to see this new beginning and began to see this gathering of people, they immediately started to ridicule the project. And one of the opponents, it says, Sanballat was very angry. 
when he learned that we were rebuilding the hall. He flew into a rage and he mocked these Jews, the, the Israelites, saying in front of his friends, trying to be the cool guy, and the Sumerian army of officers, saying that what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they are doing? Do they, do they think that they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of, a st- of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? They said sarcastically. And now I need to ask a quick question to ask yourself, how many of us actually know some guy like Sanballat in our lives? These individuals, they criticize the most, they have the most to say, but yet they do the least. And I must, I must warn you that if you do not know a Sanballat in your life, there's a high likelihood that you are that Sanballat. So I'm asking you to take a good account of that. You see, this criticism and this negativity from these external forces who were seeking to deter the mission that they were on started to act, unfortunately, successfully, grow internal divisions and doubt amongst the people. That some people were starting to actually ask, you know what, are we actually fit for purpose? Am I actually meant to do this? And suddenly, those who were working on this construction started to complain, and they went to the leader, Nehemiah was the foreman of this construction, and they told him, Nehemiah, we are tired now. Are you sure God, God said, set it on your heart that this is what we should do? They asked him, we are, they told him, we are unable to continue the work that we started. And we see amongst these Israelites that this hedonic adaption theory actually starts to come into play because we had, in the beginning, everyone was enthusiastic to begin and participate in a mission that was so extraordinary. The moment they were still starting to experience some sort of resistance, familiarity, and difficulty, they started to begin complaining, starting to, you know, nag a bit, start to, start to moan and tell Nehemiah, ah, we don't think this is something that we should partake in. And to solve this, Nehemiah had to re-strategize, he had to take a step back, and he had to figure out a fresh approach to complete the building of this monument. Unfortunately, despite the plotting the people were doing against them, the opposition was, you know, um, displaying towards them, the construction of this great monument was actually successfully built. And eventually, it would become a safe place for people to come, recover, for people to, to, to heal in these safe walls, and for people to worship and thank God for what He has done and is yet to do. And the crucial takeaway from the story of Nehemiah is that it is not enthusiasm, but it is endurance that will ultimately unleash God's promise over your life. And the vision or the desire that he has set upon your heart to achieve. We see with psychologist Angela Duckworth, who puts it this way, that although it is enthusiasm is common, it is endurance that is rare among people. And to experience this endurance until the end of our pursuit requires us to identify 
a, key, a few key factors that will serve to, 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 to withstand the test of time and will prove for us to endure at the start of our new beginning. And we need to ask ourselves whether our pursuits or our new beginning that we have set on our hearts, whether or not this thing is actually Christ-centered. Because many times we start the thing, and then when it fails and it does not go our way, we immediately start asking ourselves, but God, how could you let this happen to me? God, how could you allow this to occur even through my faithfulness? And many times we actually need to reflect is that what you started, was it Christ-centered or was it self-centered? Was it seeking to bring glory to what God has done? Or are you looking for a couple of praise, um, praise compliments and do you actually want to be the one who eventually be, is worshipped? Another thing we need to do, and this is more practical, not really so spiritual, where we need to actually outline and write down the clear stepping points for how we are seeking to achieve what we ultimately desire. Because we usually hear in church that, you know what, it's our, it's our level of preparation that determines our expectation. And finally, we need to also ask ourselves, is what we are pursuing, has it received godly counsel? Have, has, is, it, is, it, is it founded on godly wisdom? and not merely our own understanding. And in the book of Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 4, it says, So then with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, seeing what we are doing, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that so easily trips us up as a stumbling block, and fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who is faith's pioneer, his faith's faith perfecter. Jesus endured the cross, ignoring shame for the sake of the joy that he knew was laid out in front of him. And because Jesus was so faithful and enduring, it ended up with him sitting down at the right hand of God's throne. I love how it is written in the Amplified Version where it states, Let us run with endurance and active pers persistence the race that is set before us, whether we are going up or whether we are going down. We should look away from all that will distract us and focus our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author. He is this perfecter of faith who for the joy set up before him, accomplishing the goal, endured the cross, disregarding the shame that might come with it, the ridicule that might come with it, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it encourages that when we are faced with this, we should consider and we should meditate on Him who endured from sin and such hostility against Him. Consider it all in comparison with your own trial so that you will not grow weary and lose heart when there's such an important race that you need to run. And the central message of the scripture encourages us that even though enthusiasm will fuel your beginning, it is endurance that will get you to the end. 
in the same way that Jesus was subjected to great hostility and violence while in pursuit of his vision of salvation through the crucifixion. For Jesus, it was the key of his endurance that would unleash never-ending forgiveness and mercy towards us while we were so far from him, while we were getting it so wrong, and while we found ourselves stripped up in the very sin that he calls us to let go of. And you see, the core of, our entire, of, the, of the entire Bible, the core of the good news, the gospel, is that regardless of our past, regardless of our actions that we previously undertook, we can begin again. We can start afresh. And understanding the seasonal and the spiritual significance of a new beginning is that it is an opportunity for us to clear the slate, a chance to clear what has been and release the past and pursue a life that is unrestrained by the freedom that He desires for us. And this will allow us to become energized, not energized for enthusiasm, it will allow us to become energized to endure. 